0: Coming up next, the year of Tolkien begins. Yay,
1: welcome to the year of
0: Tolkien. That's some music from the Lord of the Rings movies, a popular series of films done a long time ago now. Fun fact.
1: Yes. J.R.R. Tolkien did not write those songs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but he did write songs about double Baggins' plates. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be talking about those <laughs> soon enough. Honestly, Tolkien. We love him. Positive yeah. energy. Ask me if I love Tolkien. Brandon, do you love Tolkien? I love Tolkien. Jake, do you love Tolkien? I do. Listen, if you're a new listener, here's what you need to know. My name's Nathan Albers, and I'm your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon Chasteen. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. That's right. And that is Pastor Jacob Menzel. He's the pastor who's a master of reading. That's me. And we love J.R.R. Tolkien. James Rald Tolkien. What's his name? John Ronald Rule. John Ronald Rule Tolkien. We love him. And we've been chomping at the bit to talk about him now for nigh on many a year. We did a Patreon thing where people had to get us over $1,000 a month, and then we would... Do the year of Tolkien, and our wonderful fans came through. So we are going to be talking about Tolkien all this year. We're gonna be talking about other stuff. We still have our regularly scheduled booketing, But we are going to be talking about lots of cool Tolkien stuff, and we're starting it off today with some context. You know what? Actually, I think I'm going to go out of order here, Guys, why don't we say a little baggage about Tolkien first? What a do you say? Bilbo baggage a little Bilbo baggage. Yes. What? Drop ba- our baggage off at baggage end. At baggage end? Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, wow. You are
0: sore on target there, Brandon.
1: Nice, Nathan.
0: <laughs> listen, guys, let's give our Bilgo <laughs> Bilgo Gabbins. <laughs> if people want to know all our credentials and why they should be listening if we have new listeners here, they can listen to other bookings for that, but they probably want to know what is our personal relationship to the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. So let's give our Bilbo baggage, starting right now. Brandon, what's your Bilbo baggage?
1: I get to start us off?
0: Yes. Uh, if, if, If anyone really is a new listener, we're going a little out of order. After we give our baggage, we're going to talk about the context of who Tolkien was and how he did his work and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to start talking about the books, but maybe not today. So your baggage, your Bilbo baggage, Brandon.
1: Man, I've got a lot of baggage with Tolkien, Nathan. Now, my earliest memories of Tolkien My granddad, my mom's dad, had some books at his house. He didn't have a whole lot of books, but he had a few. I select few books. He had one that was a collection of stories by um, who's the guy? Tolkien. Not Tolkien. Not the guy we're doing now. The director who did Birds and that. Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. I was. I kept wanting to say Anthony Hopkins and the (laughs) A H mixed up. Alfred Hitchcock, and he had like these little short stories, and I would read some of those. He also had like the Encyclopedia Britannica and stuff like that. Just, but they felt like weird. They felt somehow different. I don't know why. But he also had a collection of the Lord of the Rings. They were the old nineteen sixties versions of the Fellowship, and I can still see the covers because I own them <laughs> now. He gave them to me. <laughs> you can literally still yeah. go see them. <laughs> but they've <laughs> with lost your the, eyes. <laughs> yeah. But the only one of, of them still has the original cover. Um, but they had the sleeves, the dust sleeves on them, and the Fellowship was orange. The Two Towers was purple, and then the Return of the King was blue. Mm. And it had like that nice 1960, it had the round circle in the f- front with the, the ring, la- the Mordor language that was on the ring. Yes, I think I can picture Rings. And so, um, and then you would open it up and it had that old book smell to it. So I never read them as a kid, but I would always pick them up and look at them. And then what was really fun was at, at the back, they had the pull-out map. I think I might've shown this to you on the library video for the patrons. Yes. But you pull it out and it's, it's a pretty big map. With uh, Tolkien's drawing of Middle Earth, and for a kid, that was pretty awesome. One of the sad things is, is we actually pulled one of them out. My granddad didn't care, necessarily I don't think, but come to find out, those books actually are are worth quite a bit uh, if they're intact. Mm-hmm. And so, since that map was pulled out of the Fellowship, now that book is less uh, worth less. But like, if we had had all the books intact with their dust sleeves, they're like worth over a thousand dollars. Those three go. books together, they're not. So I don't. It's not like I have that sitting in my office worth that much, but. still. But I have that memory of those books as a kid. And then also through him, we read The Hobbit. My mom read that out loud to us. But it really wasn't, it really wasn't until I was a teenager that I really got into Tolkien. And so it was through that friend that I've told you guys about who got me into Fantasties. Mm-hmm. He loved C.S. Lewis. He loved fantasy. And he loved everything associated with C.S. Lewis. So he also loved Tolkien. And we also had another friend at the time who she really loved Tolkien even more than he did. And so we all, they got me to read Tolkien. I mean, at the time, I, I really liked Dickens and stuff like that more, but I read it and I loved it. I had always thought of fantasy as a genre that I really wasn't interested in. I had tried to get into Jules Verne, I had tried to get into H.G. Wells, guys like that, more sci fi, but still, they never did it for me. But there was something about The Lord of the Rings that was different than that. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> for one yeah. Thing. I think As that's, compared to those. Yeah, it, it was good. It was like, here's somebody who has interesting characters, interesting narrative. And yet it's in this make-believe world that I always just associated with, like, the the closest I had ever had to that in my past would have been, like, the never-ending story or movies that I thought that I had grown up and out of, you know? But here was someone offering me a serious fantasy world with serious adventure and serious characters, and it was really fascinating to me. That girl who really liked The Lord of the Rings... They were also responsible for getting me into Yates at the same time. So we all liked, that was that world we were into, the fairies and the fantasy and stuff like that. And so I really, what I took away from that was Yates more than anything else. One of my more embarrassing literary moments came from her because she asked me what I love so much about the Lord of the Rings. I don't know what she was wanting to hear. I said, I really like the Mines of Moria. She's like, oh, really? Why do you like it? And I said, I think, you know, this, this, the feeling of the Mines and the sense of danger and adventure. And she's like, oh, so you only like it for the danger. Wow. Yeah. I was like, Okay. <laughs> But after reading Lewis's own stories, I don't think he would disagree with me now. Yeah, what a snotty thing to say. Yeah, she was the type. She had written her own like big epic base kind of, of on Tolkien. Yeah, mm. she was one of those. She had written her own fan fiction before fan fiction was you know a thing. How'd that work out for her?
0: She get it published? And
1: <laughs> no, was it J.K. Rowling? It was J.K. Rowling. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, we that particular all say, work. Roland, Roland, Roland. We all made fun of her yeah, that sorry, way. Roland. Andy. Yep. Yeah. Gave her. No, she ended up in Chicago in an MFA program. I just want
2: to stop and take a moment to appreciate the fact that Nathan just called the entire Harry Potter series Lord of the Rings fan
0: fiction. Yeah, that's all it is. It is. Is that something that I would normally wouldn't say?
2: No, I just it, the moment came and went so quickly and was you know sort of glossed over. I just want our listeners to hear that
0: the bookening, if, if you're a new listener, the bookening is so packed with dense. <laughs> Intricate details, a little bit like Lord of the Rings. So packed with dense, interesting ideas, insights, little in jokes, and things. Sometimes we'll you're... use our own languages. Yeah. washi Brandon, you don't say. <laughs> oh, do I do, Nathan. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, if you get us up to $4,000, we will translate. <laughs> <laughs> for you. <laughs> anyway, where were we? <laughs> I, I don't know. So your friend did not like the danger and excitement in a novel famous for It's, it's, danger, it's and danger and Excitement. And she made you feel like an idiot.
1: Yeah, it made me feel like an idiot. But she and that other friend of mine, I mean, he went on to Notre Dame. He was the philosophy guy. And so here I was. I was like the musician and someone who just liked to read Dickens and Tolstoy and they were like learning their languages and being nerds. And I was my own type of nerd, but
0: not that. Yeah. When it and came I, to that lady, more like not your dame. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I opposed supposed to Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah.
2: What a great but, po- I think we should linger over that one too. Yeah, okay. Is, I'm sorry. Listen how
0: we move pretty fast folks, but <laughs> we'll slow down. Occasionally you might need time to applaud. To I think they're all standing boo. up and applauding I think right you now. might need time to boo. To boo if you're like a ghost and that's the only way you have
1: of <laughs> expressing that you love something. That's fine.
0: <laughs> Yay.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. But it was right around the same time that I was reading The Lord of the Rings and really enjoying it for the first time that the movies came out. Mm-hmm. And so those movies were are really foundational to the way that I imagined The Lord of the Rings at the time. For a young man, I mean, they were pretty cool. So that was... <laughs> You know what I mean? Surfing Legolas, baby. Oh yeah, surfing Legolas. Did did they not have the same thing for you, Nate? No, he you just—you made it sound
0: like there was a bunch of pretty ladies in there. Oh, no, there's not for young men. Oh yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, Brandon, I
2: didn't take it that way at all. I think Nathan just lives in the gutter. So yeah, they, they I'm were with you on this one.
1: And so I went. And I saw the movie and I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this is like, this is awesome. This is mm-hmm. putting this book that I just read onto mm-hmm. film. And I feel like it was fairly faithful, even though, you know, now I might have different opinions on that today. No, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about but, uh, it at some point. But that was like one of the first movies that I went back and I saw like two or three times at the theater. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I can't pretend like those movies don't have some significant impact on the way I have imagined The Lord of the Rings because I do. I mean, I read it now and I still, when I see, read about Gollum, I see Peter Jackson's Gollum. I think you know. Gollum and especially for me, Gandalf, I can't not read Gandalf and Ian McKellen's. And accent. Sam, yeah. Sean Astin did a great Sam. So. And I know that we have friends, very dear friends who hate those movies because they actually, those, mo- those books were a fundamental part of their childhood. Their mother read them to them and so their imagination had already shaped the world for them before they got to Peter Jackson. So I think it should be clear to people from the beginning that that's not the way Tolkien was for me. I didn't have time for my imagination to make Tolkien into something for myself. Peter Jackson's intricately involved in the way that I have imagined Middle Earth.
0: That's what baggage is for—is admitting something like that.
1: But I enjoyed Tolkien, so I read lots. I read his Beowulf translation. I read his essays on Beowulf and fairy tales. I read, because I really got into C.S. Lewis and his, the whole world of the Inklings, not really into them, but I, like, I so I read Owen Barfield, I read some Charles Williams, and I was just trying to read around the Inklings and those guys, so I read Farmer Giles of Ham, translation of Sir Gawain, some more of the obscure Tolkien as I just tried to figure out who this guy was and enjoy him, but... That's kind of, that's, I don't want people to think that that's like some foundational aspect of my life. It was more of a side adventure in what was actually, you know, Yates, like I said, was he kind of channeled off into the main river yeah. that became my literary interests. But Tolkien was over here. He's like a little side rivulet, you know? Mm-hmm. So there we go. There you go. Uh, I don't, and yeah, I mean, I've reread The Lord of the Rings again. I've We've made it up to, through book three with my family once, and then we- stopped and never got back to it. And I think we're going to give it another shot. We've read The Hobbit as a family, I think twice. Kids love it every time we read it. And I'm always surprised every time we read it how much, how great it is. Um, Not that I thought it was bad when I read it before, (laughs) but I'm just, it's one of those books you go back to it and you're like, I remember really enjoying this, but then you get into it and you're like, oh, this really is like, this is good, you know? It's great. Yep. And so that's, that's my experience with Tolkien. So I hope that proves to people that I am not out to get Tolkien. I like him. Okay. Jake, what is your
0: Bilbo or your Frodo baggage?
2: My baggage begins with a kid named Andrew Smith. I don't know if y'all had this experience because y'all weren't uh, public schooled, but uh, there was this. There was always the kid who uh, was super nerdy and he didn't really quite fit in with the cool kids or whatever. But he also had a really killer, witty sense of humor, and so he was just like he he got like a a cool pass from from time to time and by the time you hit high school he had earned his cool pass because he was just eccentric and clever
1: and fun and funny
2: not every kid can show up to public school in high school dressed as Wee herman and everybody in the school think it's the greatest thing ever
1: yeah and not get laughed out of there or, right yeah
2: so i remember him giving a some kind of report or something a book report or something or other where he cared very much about these creatures called hobbits. And I would not have even have been able to remember the name. And I remember we made fun of, and I was, we made fun of him because like, oh, what's the difference between a hobbit and an elf and an elf and a dwarf? And explain this to us again? Like, you know, it was just like this big dumb joke to us. That is the first and only encounter with Tolkien that I knowingly have had in my even remotely childhood experience. Andrew Smith geeking out about it in some class and us making fun of him for it and him really caring about it and sort of being offended, which he normally, you know, part of what makes a kid like that cool is he, you can make fun of him and he's not offended. Right. He play he knows how to lean into it. Like, yeah. He leans into it by wearing a Pee Wee Herman costume to school.
0: That's the way to do it.
2: Flash forward to college. And I'm barely even vaguely aware that the Lord of the Rings movies are a thing. But I've got, some friends. I'm a Christian. I've only been a Christian for, well, when did Return of the King come out?
0: uh, 2003, maybe?
2: That's kind of what I was guessing too.
0: 2003. Yes,
2: sir. Okay. So 2003, Return of the King is hitting theaters. So I've got these friends that are Christians that love Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, isn't that like for dorks and stuff? Like, it's the best thing ever. You're going to go to opening night with us at midnight on... Thursday. And before that, we're going to sit down and we watch Fellowship and Two Towers. And then we're going to go watch Return of the King. And it's going to be the greatest thing ever. So my introduction to Lord of the Rings is sitting down with these two friends of mine. And I don't remember when we started, but we had timed it so that we could get there and be in line for the midnight showing of Return of the King. Wow. So I Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King. Boom, boom, boom. That's my introduction to Tolkien. That's my introduction to Middle Earth. And I loved it. Uh, so I, I was all entirely filtered through Peter jack I only retro, I only, I don't even remember when I like went back and pieced together, like remembered. Oh yeah, Andrew Smith, he was really into this thing that I now think is cool. I made fun of him for it. Huh.
1: Joke's on me. <laughs> Joke's on me, yeah. So
2: 2003, I would have only been a believer for maybe two years. Hmm. And so you've got, suddenly here's this, epic fantasy of good versus evil and darkness versus light and you know so many just frodo struggle with the ring and sam and their friendship and their bonding and you know all, all so many wonderful metaphors for the christian life that gave me these handles cuz i was a new christian I, and i was figuring things out on my own i so so it was just it was a pretty special thing in and of itself i have a lot of fondness for the Peter Jackson films. They were my introduction, and I didn't know that The Hobbit was a book. I just knew that The Lord of the Rings was a thing. Flash that forward a, another couple years. Uh, married. We're about to have our, our firstborn son, and a, a friend of mine in the church says, well, you can't have a son unless you have read The Lord of the Rings, and he gave me copies of The Lord of the Rings, huh. and they're the copies that I still use to this day, which are the Dorky Movie Copies? The Dorky Movie Copies. <laughs> pictures of... With pictures of... Viggo uh, Mortensen and all that? Fre- yeah. Uh,
0: Elijah Wood. Elijah, Elijah Wood's Wood, on the yeah.
2: cover of one, and Orlando Bloom's on the cover of number two, and yeah. and Viggo Mortensen's on the cover of the third one. He was the are, king. Those are the copies of The Lord of the Rings that I have. So I did. I read them all before we had Peter, and, except I might have not exactly finished or... The third one? I might have yeah. kind of skimmed parts. Uh, hot
0: take and... Kinda bogs down a little bit there after they destroy the ring. The scouring <laughs> of the Shire and all that. Scouring's fine, but it takes a while in between the ring being destroyed and the scouring. But
2: I mean there's a lot of I can't go on, Sam. Yeah. Sure you can, Mr. Frodo. Oh well, <laughs> you know. I don't know about but, that. But Sam, I can't go on.
0: <laughs> that stuff's fine. They, they destroy the ring, and then it's like you get an yeah, award, and yeah, it's <laughs> we like, like you. The Academy Awards start. Yeah, it's like the Academy Awards yeah. yeah, like award <laughs> ceremony. And it keeps going.
2: Yeah. yeah, they destroy the ring, and you're like, you flip, and you're like, how much of this book is? There's left? a lot of books. Like, what in the world can mm. happen? Yeah, I remembered like the seven false endings of Peter Jackson's. Yeah, I remember that in the theaters of being like, oh, fade to white. Oh, fade to black, oh, fade, fade to white, oh, yeah. is it yep. over now? Oh, is it over now? Oh, yep. is it over now? But I just thought, oh man, like what actually happened in between all of this stuff? So anyhow, uh, uh, The Hobbit. I don't know how I got my copy of The Hobbit. Maybe I bought it. I think Amanda had read it and loved it. I could be wrong. And I think that this is one of the small handful of books that we've read together before we read books
0: to our kids. Like you read it out loud. And like she I read it out loud to it with their ears, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, we don't really do that kind of thing very much. But I think that we gave it more of a shot. And I mean, we have kids now, so we read to the kids. Right. But, but yeah, we gave that sort of thing a shot. And I think that we really, I think that we did that with the Hobbit and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now I've read the Hobbit probably three. I'm going to say at least three times, two or three times for sure. For sure, twice because I think I've read it to the kids twice and i think i read it at least once before that and yeah it is not the lord of the rings it is a wonderful book in and of itself yeah and the kids loved it and they cry when thorin dies and hashtag spoilers
0: oh sorry folks
2: i also somehow have a copy of the silmarillion i have never cracked the cover of that book
1: do they cry when that elf lady can't get with thorin even though she wants to Trial? yeah elf princess they,
0: no. What about the suspenseful moment when <laughs> Bombor is riding in the barrel and his barrel goes up and it smashes a bunch of CGI orcs? No. no while the camera spins around him, no, <laughs> they don't know. Okay.
2: okay. It, they're not really invested in Elfkate at all. Weird. Or it's
0: like Tolkien's greatest creation.
2: I know. So sad.
0: What about Beetleborg, the orc that wants revenge? <laughs> Whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> the one-armed orc. <laughs> the white orc how do you yeah, pronounce the dragon's smug. name when you read that out loud you call him smog no that's how it's pronounced according to those movies <laughs> <Shmaug>. <laughs> i think we're just gonna have to do the Hobbit movies at some point because i think there'd be a lot of fun to talk about <laughs> the extended hobbit movies yay oh nathan
2: <laughs> he's definitely just smog
0: smog yeah let me ask you this jake smog. do you still think that the peter now this is Maybe a loaded question, but I don't mean it for it to be because I think it's fine if the answer is yes. Do you still? And I might even agree. Do you still think that the move, the Peter Jackson original Lord of the Rings movies, are cool after having read the books?
2: I remember they lost some of their Mm yeah, after
0: reading the books,
2: but I also read them through the lens of the movies, and so there is a sort of like same with Brandon. This emerging of those imaginations that is maybe unfortunate, but It's just the way it is. Yep. I wouldn't have gotten into the books had I never, I mean, I would have by now, but I just, fantasy was just not cool. It was not cool. It was not worth your time. And only really big dorks cared about that sort of thing. And so I just, I didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, now nerd culture is one and I am, I am one with the Borg and the Borg is with me. I'm one with the Borg. The Borg is with me. It's basically it. I've been reading for this. I'm ahead and into the Two Towers now with the kids. And I did just recently rewatch the extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring for the first time in a long time. They've got pints. It's not good. When second breakfast. It's so long. And I think the theatrical version would have been
0: the better choice. Probably for kids. I do. A, I will say I will just go ahead and put it out here right now. I like the extended version of all six of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> And I like them in like a Saturday morning, dad, this isn't actually good, but it's just a fun thing to have on playing at the house while I am hardly paying attention sort of a way. The original- When's the last
2: time you watched the extended versions of Lord of the Rings? It's been a long time,
0: so maybe I wouldn't. Yeah,
2: I thought I liked them too. Yeah. I just, maybe it was just the sitting down with with the kids. Yeah. Did they not like it? No, they loved it. I don't know yeah. what it was. I think it was just a, Fatigue. maybe it was just a, ne- a long evening and I was yeah. committed to seeing it through and uh, yeah. I yeah, felt I it dragging on that one kind night. Kind of just want
0: to divide it up into two nights maybe would yeah. be the way to do that. Well, six films.
1: Yeah, Brennan, that's 12 nights of Peter Jackson's. No, I mean, it's like the actual books. They're actually six books. Yeah, exactly. He never actually intended for them to be grouped together that way.
0: Precisely. Huh.
1: Well, there you go. But we'll get to that when we get to context on the Lord of the Rings. We may not even talk about that tonight. Well, we'll see. No, I mean, I might not give context to the Lord they're talking about. Brandon, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. whoa! whoa. Yikes, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Um, my baggage. My Are ring you? is now burning. <laughs> Do
0: you have any further baggage? I don't think so. I'm sure there'll be other baggage and references and allusions and things from our lives we'll think of. That
1: is a fun fact that Nathan gave us rings when we agreed to do the booking and occasionally he'll say things like that and we'll feel suddenly a burden. Right. Like we have to it's do true. what he
2: tells do, us. Do what he says.
0: Another yeah, fun fact you guys have been slowly losing corporeal form. Yeah. So you did give us these awesome black robes to wear, so thanks for that Nathan. <laughs> hey no, you're welcome. <laughs> Anything for my 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 preciouses. Uh my baggage, I am one of the big nerds that Jake was talking about. It is my culture that won. Yay <laughs> Nerd, <laughs> and I hate it, <laughs> and I hate myself and all of us. But I knew about Lord of the Rings. I don't remember not knowing about Lord of the Rings. I barely remember not having read Lord of the Rings. What I always remember is it standing in contrast to Narnia. I remember Narnia and Lord of the Rings were like the two fun things that it, pieces of fantasy that everybody loved in my little dorky Christian circle growing up. And Lord of the Rings was the cool one, Narnia was the dumb one for babies that liked really simplistic allegory. And Tolkien, I mean, I remember. I'm not trying to make fun of Narnia or throw any shade here. I'm just saying what I thought as a tween. Tolkien was the cool one, who was in fact so cool that he spent the introduction of Fellowship of the Ring complaining about the dumb allegory in Narnia. He's like, I have never liked allegory and have always hated it in all its forms as long as since I was old enough to detect it. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's good good. He was like, yeah, "Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you tell him, John." So, that his name was James a minute ago. <laughs> beat up on Mr. Tumness. Uh yeah, take that Tumness. <laughs> so, I remember thinking Lord of the Rings was always cool. Uh plus,
1: you, can you imagine letting those orcs loose though into
0: Narnia? Oh, they'd have a field day. <laughs> there would be an Aslan pelt <laughs> sitting <laughs> sitting in the the, the entrance to Barandoor. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> he's, he's not wrong <laughs> i'm sorry folks and if your brain suddenly made that into somehow made that into a blasphemy then you, you are need
2: to go back and listen to our our narnia episodes. yeah you you
0: are way too invested in narnia but i like narnia positive energy but what i really like is lord of the rings and the cool thing about Nor- lord of the rings just always seemed cool compared to narnia growing up because Lord of the Rings had all this really scary stuff. It had the ring wraiths for some kid that liked like dark stuff and horror. It had those elements. It just felt like a really cool adult, violent, scary, interesting, mystical, magical world. And I always kind of resented my mom reading Narnia like, oh, we have to listen to a book now when I was a little kid. But Lord of the Rings, I don't remember any of that same Stigma. I just remember it being cool. I remember having the, the Hobbit and reading it myself. I remember thinking it was awesome. Uh, I've talked about this with Narnia before, but even more so with the Hobbit, I really responded to the conversational. Let me get down on your level and kind of be funny style of jr You know, the within the first page or two of the book, Tolkien interrupts himself to explain what. Oh, I guess you need to know who a to- uh, what a Hobbit is. Really, really liked that that stuff. Missed it when it went away in lord of the rings i remember being a little disappointed with lord of the rings actually because i latched so much onto the hobbit and it just felt like this really cool dutch uncle was telling me the most awesome story and then that guy kind of went away and it was disappointing and by the time the lord of the rings got really mystical and oh what's the when you get to the like the ride of the row here um what's that last big battle in the movie it's got all the elephants and everything what's that the Gondor,
1: the Palin, the Palindor fields. Palindor like, fields, by the Palimor time it's like and then their shields were
0: shattered upon the dusty when it got really epic and Tolkien got a little full of himself. I I didn't like that as much as the fun, cute, cool hobbit, y kind of stuff. But I remember reading those novels to myself and just thinking that they were awesome. Helm's Deep was like the iconic literary action scene of my childhood and it was the thing that i always even before peter jackson existed imagined when when somebody's gonna make a movie and make this as cool as it should be we also had those hobbit cartoon movies on vhs which people might remember like oh, yeah. some old 1977 i think it is uh, cartoon hobbit with john houston playing gandalf and I could still sing all the songs for the greatest adventure is what lies ahead. And then of course, they did the return of the king, which had Frodo of the nine fingers and the ring of doom. Why does he have nine fingers? There is a ring of doom. That classic song. There is a song. Ring of doom? Yeah, that classic song. I like songs that are...
1: That's the answer to the why does he have nine fingers is there is a ring of doom. Why does he have nine fingers? And then this big chorus
0: comes in. There is a ring of doom. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not following the poetry there. Why is... He- Brandon, you obviously don't understand poetry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Frodo of the nine fingers and the ring of doom. So there's Frodo of the nine fingers. He had a ring of doom. Why does he have nine fingers? Because there's a ring of doom on one of them and. Gollum bit it off. Yeah, that should have been in there. (laughs) Because there was a ring of doom on one of them, and Gollum bit it off. (laughs) Uh, That that movie also has the awesome song, Where There's a Whip, There's a Way. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Where the orcs are marching and the guy's whipping them. And I could probably sing that whole song. Where there's a whip, there's a way. We don't want to go to war today, but the lord of the land says nay, nay, nay. So we're gonna march all day, all day, all day. The Beatles? Where <laughs> there's a whip, there's a way left, right. <laughs> <It's so> st- <laughs> we don't want to go to war today. <laughs> it sounds like a protest song. <laughs> we know how those works are yeah. always singing songs like there's- that. Well, it does. Flower sound like, are thrown around. Well, no, and... it's actually funny. Those things were done in the '70s by Rankin Bass, who are most famous for what's his face, the little Christmas guy. What's his name? They take the teeth out. There's the flying thing. A Rudolph the Snowman. Yeah, Rudolph. Rudolph, Rudolph the Red Nose. All the, all those claymation things from from your Christmas childhood. Rankin and Bass did. They also did The Hobbit and Return of the King. Wow. Somehow, for some weird rights issue, they didn't do Fellowship and Two Towers. Two towers. But I grew up with those little dorky animated things and they were it is 70s and they do have all this crappy 70s protest song sounding folk music in them, which sounded really, really cool at the time just because I was a kid and it was Tolkien and it was monsters and stuff. And now, I don't know, maybe we'll have to watch one of them for Tolkien year just for fun because they're really dorky. We also watched the movie entitled Lord of the Rings, which was done by Ralph Bashke, And it was a weird, it was rotoscoped where they film live action people and then they just draw over them. So it's like kind of realistic animation. It was kind of violent and weird and it didn't have any songs and we didn't like it. Lord of the Rings had the additional allure of, for for whatever reason, my dad finally came around when the Peter Jackson movies came out and he really liked them. But for whatever reason, he was just against them. He thought that they were too full of monsters wizardry, and demons yeah. and wizardry. Yeah, my dad comes from a Pentecostal charismatic kind of a background and he just, anything with witches and wizards and witch kings and stuff and, and dark magic is going to be red flags for him. But he's an angel wizard. He is. And Brandon, we will never talk about that. Okay. <laughs> that right? People can listen to our Harry Potter episodes if they want to hear more about angel wizards and wizardry. And what, sh- Should Christians read stories with wizards? So my dad always allowed them. It was kind of one of those things, one of those things that you look for as a kid, those those loopholes. Like, well, my parents, you know, like it's the naughty parts in the Bible. Well, my parents have to allow this, but, you know, where he stabs the guy in the Bible through the and through his stomach and, you know, like the book of Judges, it's got all this stuff that's like cool and forbidden, but it's in the Bible. So, we have to have it. Lord of the Rings kind of felt like that. Like it's this is actually pretty dark and scary and cool and like the kind of thing that should be forbidden, but It's not because it's Lord of the Rings. So that kind of had a little bit of that allure.
1: Yeah. The part that always stood out to me with that was Shelob when she bites Frodo and he's wrapped him up and you Mm -hmm. think he's dead and then he gets taken up into the tower and that just was terrifying.
0: Yeah. Scary stuff. The Barrow Whites. Yeah. Mm. Everybody always forgets about the Barrow Whites because Peter Jackson Jackson loves horror, but he didn't do the Barrow Whites for whatever reason and those things are creepy. And the Ringwraiths. I mean, that's just like classically so many. I I don't know how many. How many fantasy things, including our friend Roland, Roland, Roland? <laughs> they, they, they do that. They just shamelessly rip off the ring wraiths. I've seen it. Yeah, the Dementors yeah, the Dementors. Second-rate ring wraiths are just yeah, ring wraith juniors, diet ring wraiths. I, uh, I was cool enough, and or maybe I was uncool enough. The Grim enough. Reaper is scary. Yeah, the Grim Reaper. I I guess there are some precedents. That's true. And I always thought the Grim, the Grim Reaper. Yeah, was I like, guess
1: that Tolkien was just a rip off of Dickens' Christmas Carol. Yeah. More like
0: grim ripper offer. Yeah. I was nerdy enough and had enough of a handle on Tolkien that I was pretty dismissive when the first movie came off. The first movie came off. The first movie came out. I don't remember being excited about it. But I also saw it opening day just because it was a ubiquitous thing. It was very popular. And and then I saw it like five or six times in the theater, I think. It's probably one of the movies I saw the most because we had a $2 theater in town at the time. And you liked it that much? No, I didn't. I would have said it was okay, I think. I thought that the action wasn't that great. Uh, since that time, I've actually come to appreciate it more. I I, I think it's pretty cool, I guess. I, mean, I don't know. I haven't watched it for years now, but we'll go back I to it. I think The
1: Fellowship might be the best of the three.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think I I had really strong image, like I had my own imaginary Balrog. So Peter Jackson, you know, you kind of had that thing where it's just like, no matter how cool it is, it's not the thing that was in your head—the Balrog that you sp- had specially made by your brain for you. Yeah, no. Yeah. So Ian McKellen obviously lived up. I think one thing that's pretty indisputable about those movies is that the casting is pretty great. Pretty great. Minus you, you, you could argue with. What's her? I don't mind her, but you could argue with Elf Princess Lady Liv Tyler. You could argue maybe with
2: people like to argue with Aragorn, but I think that's I think the, most of that is maybe not even casting so much
1: as direction. Yeah, it's writing, and then people like to argue. Some people like to argue with Frodo. I think he's fine.
0: I think yeah. all the hobbits are fine. I I think the whole fellowship is good, uh, including Aragorn. I think the writings we kind of Pippin and Mary are pretty fun. Yeah, Pippin yeah. and Mary are fun. It's always fun, casting fun to see Pippen. Sh- was it Pippin or Mary that showed up in Rise of the Skywalker? I get confused. Still. Yeah. Boromir, good casting. Oh, there. he's great, yep. yeah.
2: Well, he he got cast as Boromir for the rest of his life.
1: Yep. Yeah, but uh, Peter I, Jackson was able to get some moving stuff into those movies. Well, like can Bor- I throw out, Boromir's death. Can I throw out two th- t- hot takes here? Yeah. I think Peter Jackson-
0: Improved on Boromir. He's a hack in a lot of places, but he does improve on Boromir. That's that's hot take number one. His, his death of Boromir scene is better than Tolkien's. Ha- number two, he did something brilliant by moving the- all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that's given us speech to the bottom of the minds of Moria instead of the second chapter of the book. When That was brilliant, yeah. Those yep. are two, that's like, that's smart adaptation right there. And they made a lot of mistakes, but when you can just take the source material and do something that's in the spirit of the source material, but just kind of massages it in a cool way that makes it yeah, that much better. It's better
1: to have that speech than when you're terrified in the bottom of a mind.
0: Yeah, it's really powerful in the movie, and yeah. it's like, you want Tolkien to have done it. You want to, it's yeah. like, why did Gandalf waste the speech so early on? It's still a great speech no matter where, but anyway, those are my hot takes. I kind of came around on the movies, uh, especially, I actually really liked The Two Towers when it came out. Everybody hates that one because it's got all the dumb Faramir dorky stuff that's not from the book, and I didn't like that stuff, but the but the Helm's Deep stuff yeah, so th- is so good.
2: I. I feel like I have the maybe the most fondness for the Two Towers mm-hmm. of all the movies for the same reason. Helm's
1: Deep is just really cool,
0: and I love Siege. Or movies in my memory and... it was Helm's Deep is cool. Yeah, I mean,
2: I just like. Even the... If you want to laugh at surfing Legolas,
1: I never had an issue with Two Towers. It has one? It had one of my favorite moments that may not be one of my favorite moments anymore. But it's when Gandalf finally arrives with all the Rohirrim. Oh, and they um, ride over the edge. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing that for the first time and I think I cried Yeah, I remember seeing it for the days. fifth time and yeah. crying so
0: I mean it's so <clears throat> obvious Peter Jackson's not Mr. Subtlety the sun comes up behind them yeah, and but all the orcs great. go
1: ah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but he's good at those uh, moments I remember the endings to both the fellowship and the two towers were really strong where that might walking, be
0: another moment that he improves is where they're walking Sam towards the Eamon yeah. yeah they're uh, walking
1: towards the Ammon wheel whatever that is the rocks yeah I'm glad that I have you here with me Sam yeah and then,
2: um, well, I'm going alone, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> of course you are, and I'm coming with you. That's yeah. Yeah. that's well, not remember. Tolkien. That's Jackson, and that's good. That's yeah. Great, but that's it's really that great. it's that
1: last scene where he pans and you see Mordor, but they're walking together. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's one like moment of friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the the melody starts to play. It's just it was yeah. great. The music's great, and New Zealand. What a and the second one ends stroke with, of genius. Stroke of that genius.
2: Everybody is ripped off
1: now. Yep. And the
0: second one ends with Gollum leading them, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say another, perhaps controversial thing. I, we're going to have to talk about the movies. I'm realizing because I have a lot of nostalgia and a lot of opinions on them. I think Andy Serkis's Gollum is pretty good. I know a lot of nerds like to be better than Andy Serkis's Gollum, but I like Andy.
1: Seriously, Serkis's people Gollum. don't like his Gollum? Yeah, they think
0: he's too cute or something. I don't know. Uh, I, okay. I've heard, a, I've heard a lot of people say,
1: "Oh, well, that's not Tolkien's Gollum." Really? I it seems like Tolkien's Gollum every time I read Tolkien. He's a,
0: he's a good movie character, whatever else he is. <sighs> anyway. I really like the Two Towers movie just because it did have, I love a good siege movie and I love a movie that takes its time and makes you feel how entrapped the people are and, you know, has all the women and children huddling in the cave and the rain starts, you know, a good battle movie where it spends half or three quarters of the movie building up to the battle is one of my favorite things in the world. So that movie I remember being really cool, even though the Frodo and Sam stuff is pretty dumb. And then Return of the King's okay. The movie, you know, there's lots of ghosts and battles and it's fine. And the Elephant Man is in there for some reason. Never did understand what the Elephant Man was doing in there. Which one? Oh, the guy who gets speared? Yeah, just the the leader of the... Oldophants. Yeah, the elephant. But I guess the reason I'm talking about the movies is because I haven't read the books since the movies first came out. Since 99, or I guess it would have been 2001, when Fellowship of the Ring came out i've i was pretty seeped in tolkien and then those movies came and it was just like okay well this is kind of putting us absorbing my interest and then putting a stopper in it so i was very seeped in tolkien tolkien and then i was fairly just because it was culturally ubiquitous seeped in jackson tolkien and then jackson tolkien went away and then those hobbit movies came out and kind of tainted the legacy of Jackson Tolkien. And I actually think as guilty pleasures, those movies are kind of fun, but they're not good. And yeah, now we're coming back to it. And what I'm hoping is going to happen is that I'll have the best of both worlds. I can have my brain just heavy in McAllen's accent, but I have enough distance on the movies that it's not just going to be the movies. And I'll be able to maybe rediscover things and approach them with maturity. Maybe I won't be bored by Tom Bombadil like I was as a kid and a teenager. Maybe I'll think he's like interesting and maybe I'll like old man Willow. And, you know, there's certain things that I remember just not really getting as a kid. Galadriel's mirror, just some of the more adult conceits, maybe. So... I'll be interested to see how it plays. I think it's going to be wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. I certainly love it. And it's one of those mental places that I haven't lived in in a long time. This sort of whole Lord of the Rings side of my life was important and it got me into fantasy. And I've read a lot of fantasy novels since then and a lot of Tolkien ripoffs and, you know, your Wheel of Time and your all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking back or uh, looking forward to. Going back to the source, and it's I'm approaching it with fear and hopefulness. Like you know, it'll, it'll be like going back to that restaurant in your in your hometown that you remember being the greatest, and hoping that it still tastes just as good as it did when you were ten, and wondering if maybe it won't, but you think it will. I'm excited, and I've already read The Hobbit, and I can confirm The Hobbit's brilliant, and I don't even know why it's just great. So that being said, Brandon, yeah, you, huh? are the contextual texan been told that and you like to provide context for our works yeah with a hail and hearty yeah yep yeah that's right brennan is from texas and he likes to provide some much-needed context for our work so he is going to provide some context on jrr tolkien right Brennan? yeah i am cool nathan go for it you know what actually before you do that yeah why don't we take a little break and shout out our donors yeah Okay, I like to put that not always at the very end. Let's do that. So if you want to get a donor, shout out. Jake, how do you do it?
2: Go to patreon.com forward slash thebookening and give as much or as little as $10 a month. So you have to give $10 a month, five anything up until $10 gets you access to premium behind the scenes content of everything that we do here. $10 a month gets you a shout out on every episode of the booking. Usually it comes at the end, but today we're making an exception because we want those new listeners to
0: make it all the way through. Yeah, we and, and we want them to know exactly how exciting it can be to have your name shouted out.
2: Absolutely. And so then we have the $25 uh, level where you get a super cool, awesome booking t-shirt every year, new mm-hmm. design and the $50 level which is one of our most popular and my favorite level because it's a lot of money for us. Yep. But also because uh, what happens is we give you each book that we're reading several months in advance so that you can read along with us in the mail with personalized autograph copies from us so you get, you know, special mess every month you get a new book in the mail. It's going to be a quality copy, a high quality copy of No no a high Dover Thrift throat. this. No. And so it's just a nice fun way to support us and build up your library at home with awesome books. um, And and then get to read along and be a part of the of the team.
0: It's a lot of fun. And if you want to pay us $100 a month, you can choose a book within reason that we'll read.
1: And if you, what is it, 500 a month, you get to be on an episode or something like that? Haven't we said that in the past somewhere? Disclaimer,
0: Brandon has not discussed this insane notion with anyone and... <laughs> Thoughts of Brandon Chastain did not necessarily represent the thoughts of. I could have sworn we said this Warhorn before people. Media. However, <laughs> yeah, if you want to give us five hundred dollars a month, we'll wash your car. You can do whatever you want, and you
2: can be on an episode. Yeah, for sure.
0: five hundred a month. Yeah, yeah. If you're an, I'm a, thinking you can. If you're an embarrassing rich hack without a lot to say, that might be a short episode. But we'll take your money, <laughs> and we'll put you on an episode, and we'll be nice to you. Yeah. And if you're a wonderful person, then so much the better. Maybe we'll replace one of us. <laughs> Maybe we'll replace one of us. All right, guys, let's shout out some donors, huh? Huh? Let's just shout them out, Brand Brandon. Brandon. Robert and Ronda the Lovebirds. Robert, Robert and Ronda the, Ron the Lovebirds. Little Anthony Dodger. Little Anthony, Anthony Dodger. Dodger. Little Anthony Cigar Store. The little the Anthony cigar, cigar Store. The Immortal Chelsea Our E. Mortal the immortal Chelsea E. Jim Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Jim Beam and, and little, Annie little Annie Oakley. Oakley. Lily, of the Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. The Keith Master. The Keith Master. David's Lover. Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. John and Jolene's Little Baby Max. John and Little Baby Max. Okay, and Katie, York cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis including till we have faces Jane J Katie, Katie who Mark are cold, cold and love cheese
1: C.S. C- Lewis and also C.S. Lewis including, including, including we till faces. we have faces yes yeah. I got that wrong
0: Brennan, you said they love Cleese I said you mean John Cleese <laughs> yes they love cheese and John Cleese famed and C.S. Lewis
1: C. including till we have faces
0: A am very proud of happiness mother <laughs> Beth also prime Adam Prime 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 Adam. Adam. Jeremy, the dark hooded lord of
1: death. Jeremy, Jeremy the, the dark hooded lord of death. death. Nathan, Nathan meow, meow. not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Nathan. Maya. Maya
0: the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Ryan the Red, Red Avenger, Avenger and Judith, Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Danny the Dude. Danny the Dude. <laughs> DJ Sammy G. DJ, DJ Sammy, Sammy G. G. Benny and Danny, uh, sorry, Benny, and Dana, Benny, Benny and, and Dana Tiberius. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. <laughs> Professor, and Professor and Lady X. Professor and Lady X. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan. Lavender's blue, Dillon, bum, bum. Lavender's Dillon, green, Dylan, Dylan. I love you, you too. too. No constrictor. No, no constrictor. constrictor. cheap cheep, cheep. cheap cheep, cheap, cheep. Cheap. Cheap. The fair and fragrant Maiden G-load Chloe. The Fair, the fair and, and fragrant Maiden Chloe. Chloe. Six pack Zach with a mean attack. And Catherine with a knack, for laying, with mano- knack for
2: laying down the smack. Somebody with the, who? Catherine?
0: Catherine with a knack
2: for laying down of, the smack,
1: Brandon. Anthony with a knack for laying down the smack.
0: Anthony who's cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Anthony who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. And John Cleese. Jiu Jitsu, Jeffrey the Texas Ranger. Jiu Jitsu,
2: Jeffrey the Texas Ranger. Rachel. Rachel.
0: Leopard Tank Thomas. Leopard Tank, Leopard Tank Thomas. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Midnight, Midnight Ninja, Ninja Ellen. Ellen. Queen Kangetta. Queen, Queen Kingeta. Return of the Jedediah. Return, Return of the Jedediah. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Jay, Jay of, of Rack Ruin. and Ruin. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Timothy Timothy's the Rider at Dawn. <laughs> Eric, Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings who are warm <laughs> and love bees. Eric <laughs> and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings who are cold and love bees. Who are warm and love bees. Warm and, warm love, and love bees. And love bees. <laughs> Maddie 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 Mat Many Maddie. Man Maddie Maddie. Maddie 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 Maddie
1: Mat Man. All right. Well Why would you not want to be a part of that wonderful lineup? You
0: know, it is such a cool lineup and we're thankful for every one of them. Yeah, thank you guys. And let's get back to it. You Br- have made the year of Tolkien possible. You really have. You really have. Our hats are off to you. Now
1: Brent. we're going to start a long section where all we do is we thank them and award them. And then we say, you bow to no man. <laughs> you bow to no podcaster. You bow to no man. And then we'll not actually get to context until next episode. Right.
0: <laughs> we will run and hug them on a bed in slow motion with everyone creepily laughing. Jane, And then Kate. bouncing around. And bouncing around, Yeah. All right, Brandon,
1: some yeah. context. Okay. Let's let's do this, Nathan. Let's do it. Let do it. Um, So context for Tolkien. Mm. Who was this man? Who the was myth, this man? The legend. Who was he? Well, he was actually a fairly, uh, str- he had a fairly straightforward life. He was born. He was an orphan, actually, so there was some sadness in his early childhood. Then he went to Oxford. He went to war and he lost most of his friends, except for one, he said. <laughs> you know, maybe his life wasn't that boring after <laughs> all. <laughs> And then he went and he taught at Oxford and became a famous fantasy writer who was trying to write a mythology for England, but also at the same time write stories that his kids would like and also that he would enjoy too, based on the stuff that he liked to read. He re-envisioned the way the world looks at Beowulf. He wrote foundational translations of a few texts with some other scholars at Oxford. Didn't he kind of just help the world to look at Beowulf? Yeah, he... for the Yeah, so like... Before that, they Beowulf. Well, I was going to get to this, but why not? Let's do it right now. Let's just talk about some of his accolades. Yeah. So he went off to Oxford, and then he went to war. But he came back, and he worked a little bit for the OED, which is a fun fact. Translating, he he would put. So if anybody knows what the Oxford English Dictionary is, it's where they'll give like a definitive definition, and they'll give the roots, the the linguistic roots of a word, the etymologies of the word, and then they'll try to give some of the earliest instances of that word's uh, use in the English language. Mm -hmm. And so he was responsible for Germanic-rooted words beginning in W.
2: Okay.
1: And he worked in the Oxford. And so there's a fun book that I have at home. I don't know why I have this book, but it's about his years working for the OED. He had a very short tenure there, but there were like all these cabinets and stuff, like filing cabinets that you would pull out, and they all had postcards and things. And it was a very complicated system for how they would know which words had which roots and all that. It sounded chaotic and fun. It almost sounded like, working in like a Harry Potter library. I don't know why. It just seemed that sort of frantic Harry mm-hmm. Potter style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how I really describe it other than frantic. It was probably a bunch of boring tea drinkers sitting around silently looking into dusty old books and getting... But yeah, but it was like that sort of... The, the, the piles of papers and the franticness of it and the sort of craziness of just how the system worked out of what looked like chaos, but still came together to be the OED. That's kind of what was neat about it. But yeah, so he had that experience, but he was especially interested in old Anglo-Saxon roots of the English language, and so in the Germanic roots of the English language, and so that got him into Beowulf, and up to that point, Beowulf had largely been appreciated as a linguistic, philological artifact. But he looked at it, and he said, no, actually, that's because we all look at these stories through like the classical lens, where the monsters were always secondary to Odysseus. But let's look at Beowulf as the monsters are central to understanding the sort of Christian mythology that's happening here and trying to look back at the past and understand the past through a sort of new Christian lens that was happening with the Beowulf poet and so he helped really reshape the way the world thought of Beowulf I mean it's a really and so his essay Beowulf the critics the monsters and the critics I think that's the name of it right mm-hmm. I can actually verify yeah Beowulf the monsters and the critics um that he wrote it when in the 1930s so he would have been just barely 40 at the time. So this was really foundational for making his career. And so he was already writing on, even doing work with Beowulf earlier than that too. And he had done a lot of work. It's interesting
2: to think of Tolkien not uh, uh, laying the foundations for his career at the age of 40.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Sir Gawain, he had already done something with Sir Gawain and the Green Knight when he was like my age, actually about 34, 35. So that's kind of when the careers would take off at the time, which is encouraging to hear. But so he had already done work with Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, but these were like what made his career. And so he was a philologist, he was a scholar, kind of like C.S. Lewis. You can't forget that C.S. Lewis was also a scholar, but then he had his other kind of side career as an apologist that now is all we remember him for, right? But really what mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis was at the time was a scholar first who also wrote some children's stories. And now that's all people think of C.S. Lewis as. Tolkien was a scholar who also happened to really love writing Christmas letters to his kids called Father Christmas, and there was like a polar bear character as well. And he was also an amateur artist, and so he would do sketches and stuff for them. And some of the stories that would become The Hobbit came out of these letters he would write to his children. He had four children, and he loved being home and he loved telling stories to his kids. And so The Hobbit and some of these, the Lord of the Rings stuff, just came out of this just natural love of telling his children stories, which is fun and sweet. It's important to realize that. This about Tolkien, especially with the Beowulf. And the, for one, it's fun to realize he was that influential in helping to shape a whole other world, other than fantasy. Because he's off, he's looked at as like the father of the modern high fantasy movement. What that means is instead of like the trash fantasy that would become, I don't know what would be in a good example of trash. Kind of the barbarian. Kind of the barbarian. Would be the most popular. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Lowbrow fantasy. Lots of sex and blood. Yeah. He was the high fantasy, and he, he helped shape that. And so the things that we think of as being part of the fantasy world, nerdy languages, even stuff that shapes Star Trek and sci-fi, right? Or comes Star Wars. Or Star Wars comes from Tolkien. This sense of a deep mythology. So part of what he loved about Beowulf was that there was this old ancient world that existed and should be of interest to us, and it had that feeling of ancientness, that feeling of otherworldliness to it. Yet you still have these heroes and these monsters that we can still relate to, but also it just this sort of distance and strangeness to it. And so the stuff that he loved about Beowulf, we probably should read Beowulf, The Critic is in Monsters. It's a great essay. It'd be good to read it. I think- The Monsters and the Critics.
0: I read it when we read Beowulf on yeah. year one of the bookending, but I don't remember whether we did it together or I just did that because I'm so awesome.
1: Yeah. You are a very awesome guy, Nathan. It's really true. Sorry, I'm going to pull up this thing real fast here. Yeah, and so in a lot of the things that he would see in Beowulf, so I just wanted to pull up some quotes here that man is at war with a hostile world and his inevitable overthrow in time, the sense that the evil of the world exists and it's really almost impossible to stand against the evil of the world, and yet the heroism is in standing, mm-hmm. not necessarily in always winning. I mean, that sense is all over the Lord of the Rings, right? That's yep, one of the most absolutely. powerful features yeah, of the Lord so, of the Rings. And so he says that it's where your imagination pondering over the old and new is kindled through Beowulf. And so also in the Lord of the Rings, you have that sense of there being this sort of old world that pre-exists the new world with the hobbits being kind of the new farmer world. But yet this old world that surrounds them with the elves and the runes and these things that are so old, like the watchers when mm-hmm. they're going into Gondor, right? Those big statues, mm-hmm. Those, that sort of element of there just being this ancientness to this world that Tolkien's not even going to explain for you. It's just there. And so that he brought that also from Beowulf, but also from his love of other guys like William Morris and stuff. And we'll get into that in a minute. But this, his love of Beowulf, his love of that world, but also his love of languages, helped shape The Lord of the Rings. And he loved languages since he was young. In fact, we'll I'll just kind of put this together piece. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, when like a he mithril was. Chain. Yeah, a Mithril Chain. Mm-hmm. Part of his love of languages started. Actually, actually, when he was pretty young, his mother started teaching him Latin when he was like four. He started, first started inventing languages and playing around with invented languages when he was a teenager. He had two cousins who apparently invented a language called Animalis. Huh. And so that was kind of his first introduction to that. And then he, then they together created a language called Nevbosh. And then by himself, he created a language called Nefarin. And for him, he said it was always about both the linguistics, the piecing together of the grammar, but also the sound of the language. And so that was always a big concern to him because the other thing that he really defended Beowulf was he defended it as poetry as well. It wasn't just Anglo-Sax—it wasn't just interesting for its Anglo-Saxonness, but as a poem. And so he was very concerned about the fact that these old languages can be beautiful. These old languages can sound beautiful, and you can create this ideal language too, which is what he was trying to do with Elvish, right? So it had these Latin influences and also like Germanic and Welsh and all these things that combined together to eventually become. The language of the elves. Do we have any elvish we can read?
0: Oh, they can go and watch Jake. They want to go on to patreon.com. They can see Jake, and I will provide no explanation for this if you don't already have have it, but they can see Jake dressed as Elf, Elvis, reading quotations from Narnia?
2: I think so, yeah. In Elvish. Yeah, Yeah, but not on the Booketings Patreon.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Are you sure?
2: No, I'm not sure, actually. It was was, beautiful. I just remember that, Ben.
0: No, it was a Booketing deal. Ben helped us out because that was the time that we had to do it. Oh, Brand okay. Bran could be in the studio. But yes, you can go to the Booking's Patreon and find Jake. It was moving. Tear, yeah. I, uh, tear jerking. Oh, is I stuff? really
2: threw my... This is The Hobbit. It's so.
0: probably Elvish and The Hobbit, right?
2: I mean, Elrond's in it, right? Yeah.
0: That's true. Jake really threw his...
1: I, I threw my heart and soul into the performance. The point is that these root, this interest, this love of language, the love of putting language together, of grammars, of all this stuff that would go into making him who he was, it came as a young man, just as one of the, he was like a part of the nerd culture before mm-hmm. co- nerd culture was a thing. These kids that sit together and create languages together. Yep. In fact, and he just loved communicating and finding ways to communicate. In fact, when he was sent off to World War One, one of the ways that he communicated with Edith was he found a way to use dots to show her where he was. Hmm. So he kind of get around the censorship that would have prevented that. And so, yeah, he was just always creating with ways of communication and found that fascinating. And so I forget. And well, well, I think we'll probably provide a little context for each book as we get there. Yeah. I don't remember how many languages he created for Lord of the Rings, but it's an impressive amount, <laughs> maybe a troublesome amount. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a decent amount of vocabulary too, right? Like, yeah.
1: I mean, there's a whole like,
0: you can speak it basically.
1: The only level. thing that maybe matches it is how f- deeply people have taken Star Trek languages. Klingon and such. Yeah. Yes. But no, you can like you can go and you can learn Elvish. There are courses on learning Elvish. Sweet. And we can go and we could learn the language of Mordor if we wanted to. Mm, that's the Black language, Brandon. I'm yeah. not a fan. What, are you racist? Jive Tongue and, has uh, never
2: been uttered here.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, great. You just uttered the language of Mordor here. Sorry, Nathan.
2: That's okay. You just intent on befouling every place you go, aren't you?
0: I am. That is a fact that people should know about Brandon. <laughs> he has always been intent on befouling every place that he goes. Sorry, guys. This is something th- I do. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'm just befouling yeah. it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really a wonder that you have any friends at all.
1: Yeah. Since we're kind of taking this sort of piecemeal jumping all over the place approach yeah. that's kind of working even. Uh, even better, Brandon. Yeah. That's I think it is better going better than, than, than just going get. through his life. Yeah. In World War II, he would continue this theme of being abs- like useful with his languages. He would be a code breaker. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was a philologist. If you don't know what a philologist is, go look it up. You oh. got a dictionary.
0: Brandon, please tell us what philologist means. Someone
1: who studies like languages. I oh, okay. love words, okay. etymologies of things and stuff like yeah. that. So um, I that's thought why-
2: that person was called a linguist.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: What's the difference?
1: Well, let's ask OED. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. Let's ask, wouldn't it be fun if he wrote the definition himself? Uh, it's not a W. Yeah, it's not a W. You're right. It's a little known fact. It's W-P-H-I-L-O-L. <laughs> it's the branch of knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development, relationships of languages or languages. And so I'm... I know you got me really...
0: Whereas linguistics is the scientific study of language.
1: Is the study of language in an oral and written historical sources? So I think that might be the important difference, is there oral and written historical sources? Philology it is oral, inter- so philology. It is, so philology is the intersection of textual criticism, literary ah. criticism, history, and linguistics. All right. So it's where they all cross roads. So you're looking at texts, you're looking at literature, you're looking at history, the way they develop, and then also the linguistics, which is to be more the scientific study of that language. Makes sense. Um, so a philologist is, knows everything about languages. Yeah, and that, so, I mean, it literally means lover of words. And so... He loved languages, and you see that from an early, from his early childhood. If I'm not mistaken, I think philologist and linguistics, though at the time, kind of were probably the same. Linguistics is a field of study was a kind of come so later, much. It's a, it's more specialized recent. downstream yeah. kind of thing. And I think you would kind of see it as a subcategory of philology mm. too. So they're all interrelated. They study languages. A linguistics is going to be more like the dry bones, a scientist who just wants to study like, the bones of a language, right. while well, a philologist wants to know the whole life of a language, how it developed, how Anglo-Saxon produced Beowulf. And so uh, that's how you could get a philologist like Tolkien teaching Beowulf courses, because he's concerned of the historical development of that language and the way it produced poetry, the way it could produce these modes of communication and all this aspect of the language like that, and looking at the text and seeing how they develop and... You could see why a man like that would eventually become interested in producing a world of the, like the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. A dork. A dork. Kind of. But a lovable dork. hmm Who smoked a pipe and looked really cheerful in every picture I've ever found of him. Does he? Yeah, he kind of does. I'm
0: going to look up a picture of Tolkien right now, folks. And see if I'm right. And and I have a will question. Touch, tell you how.
1: Yeah.
2: Did he ever get kidnapped and taken to Mars?
1: Um, my research is kind of, uh, kind of still out on that question.
2: Did he ever get... Kidnapped and taken to, or did he ever find his way to Venus in a coffin?
1: Um, Yeah, I I didn't find that in my- home from Venus in a coffin. I didn't find my studies. My studies didn't find that. Is he the pin dragon? Yes. (laughs) I had to hold Brandon's feet to the
2: fire on that (laughs)
0: information. (laughs) Brandon is actually correct. For an old serious guy that took boring black and white photos, Tolkien is quite- he looks you like You can find know. more pictures of him smiling than you can a lot of, like, there's a very cheerful one right there. He just looks yeah. like he'd
1: be delightful, yeah. like you want him telling stories to your grandkids. Yeah, yeah.
0: He looks, in pictures, I've always thought of C.S. Lewis as being the more approachable one, but he looks like a guy that would be easier to just walk up and talk to than I mean, C.S. Seriously, Lewis. Seriously, who does like. not
1: want that guy to be your granddad? Yeah,
0: he, he looks like the old man in like a Spielberg movie or something. Yeah. He's, he's quintessentially that guy. <sighs>
1: very kind eyes, very happy smile hmm But that's kind of the sense that, so now that we kind of know who he was as a philologist, who he was as a scholar, that's kind of the sense that you get from his life too. And so we can go over that. Yeah, go on. Let's, Nathan, now I threw out the bait. Let's see if I catch a fish.
2: <laughs> Your metaphors are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to pause and draw attention to that metaphor.
1: People, I am a metaphor king mm-hmm. and not metaphorical. Yeah. I'm a litterment, litter, litter, litter. litter. <laughs> He's a litterment. litter litterman. Litterman. I'm litterment, guys. I'm, I'm litterment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can read. <coughs> Try litterment for your halitosis today. <laughs> uh, you know who else has paws is Bjorn. <laughs> nice
1: nice transition, Nathan. And you know who created Bjorn? <laughs> Who's that, Brandon? J.R.R. R. Tolkien. J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Why? And you what? know when he was born? Paws. When he, was he born? He was born in ni- 1892. Eight, 1982? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's, he's a peer. <laughs> He's a couple years older than Jake. <laughs> cool. Eight, 1890. Wait, no. If he was born in, yeah, 1982, that would be our age. If he was, born in
0: be, 19, if him, was yeah. like, we could have him on the podcast. We yeah. probably
1: wouldn't want to because he probably wouldn't have done anything cool. Yeah, fun fact for everybody listening to the podcast. We're all pretty much the same age. Isn't that fun?
0: Why don't you see what the OED says about the word fun, Brandon? Let <laughs> can get some, some information on that word. Okay, let's look, let's look it up. Fun.
1: Provides, what provides amusement or enjoyment, specifically? Uh, yeah, actually, actually yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looked it up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now look up the word sarcasm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Easy there, Nathan. All right, Brandon, you said you were going to go through J.R.R. Tolkien's life. Uh, to this point, you have not delivered on that promise.
1: 1892. Yeah. He was born in South Africa. His name was John, John, Ronald, John, Ru- John-, John- Ronald...
0: John... John... Ronald, John... Ronald: Ru-
1: <laughs> His name was John Ronald Rule Tolkien.
0: John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Can, yeah. he, how fast can you say that, Jake? John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Nope. Nope. John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Nope. John... John... John <laughs> let's do it together. John, John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Tolkien. Can you do it with us, Brandon? Man.
1: John Ronald Rule Tolkien.
0: Nope. Okay. One, two, three. All of us. One, two, three. John, John Ronald, Ronald Rule Tolkien. Now faster. John, John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Now faster. John Ronald Rule Tolkien. John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Perfectly articulated.
1: His brother Perfectly. was also, yep. had four ma- names. His name was Hilary Arthur Rule Tolkien. Huh. He was the younger, and so John Ronald Rule was the older brother. His father died <laughs> when he was four. <laughs> His father was a banker. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. clap that out? <laughs> his father died?
2: <laughs>
1: so he was born in South Africa. His father was a banker there. And <laughs> <laughs> why is that funny? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> every, single, <laughs> every single fact of his child, going to be funny to you. <laughs> no, go ahead. Hey, guess what, Nathan? What? Here's another hilarious fact. Yeah. They decided to go back and visit England. Their mother took him back when he was around four with his younger brother. And his dad died of rheumatic fever while they were there. Is that funny? No. And that's they had tragic. to they moved to a little village called Serhole where he was able to explore the surrounding hills and villages and a lot of his um so the point I'm gonna be making here with kinda of the, these backgrounds is how I think one of Tolkien's strengths is yes, he's a philologist at heart. Yes, he loves to create and craft these mythologies and these stories, but one of his strengths is he also has a poetic sensibility of the world around him. Mm-hmm. And as you find, as you study poets, their imaginations are all shaped by what they observe. Like Tol- uh, Tolstoy is a very poetic writer too, in the sense that everything around him, he absorbs it and then he puts it into detail in his work. And that happened was Tolkien too. And so the world of Hobbiton and stuff was shaped by his childhood. The little villages, the rolling hills, the the Barrowites, those, mm-hmm. um, all these things were shaped by the things he was able to explore. Apparently there were ta- like two, um, industrial towers grew next to where he grew up, and so he was always under the shadow of these towers. And so, people think that that helped shape in his imagination as far as like towers being such a significant part of his work as well. well. Just to interject, reading The Hobbit again, it was amazing how much, how
0: how much modern observation and oh, I don't even know how to say this, but it's like William and Bert and Tom. They're like three Cockney street sweepers that he probably knew. And there's there's just things like that all through it where
1: he's, I, I just... Well, yeah, and we'll get to kind of where that influence might've come from as well. It stood in
0: contrast to more the high-kai high fantasy that people write today where it feels like they're just trying to com- create a completely other world. Tolkien did do that, but it, it's interesting well, how much the, um, he's just like using yeah modern references and modes of speaking. and
1: Well, for uh, those character for those types of writers, it almost seems like they all... Want to only take like Henry V and right. put him into a fantasy setting while Tolkien could play with the hey, whole I did range. That. Say what? Yeah. For great writers like Jake. <laughs> you did that?
2: <laughs> don't you remember?
1: Oh, yes. That's
0: right. The Witch in the great Willows, books. man. Yeah. yeah. I won. Did we ever say that on mic, by the way? Jake won. I'm giving him a fist bump. What I deserved it. Bogus. I don't know who Jake paid off that to air as human did not sweep. And I don't know who Brandon paid off that he came in second and Eras human came in pretty, yeah, pretty nice second deadline <laughs> you were like you were way in the back there nobody Nathan. wanted to read my novel oh, so and sad. i just want all of our listeners to know i am hurt and i hold that against all of you my and novel- now,
1: i would like to say to all my instagram followers thank you for helping us have such a strong showing in instagram it was great yeah and next year we're gonna take it people we're gonna take it all the way
2: if you have uh, an actual good story maybe you will
1: yeah
0: no, you probably won't because it turns out you can have a perfect great story and, and win. no one will care.
1: Is that like a hypothetical situation you're making? Are you trying to here, call
2: our listeners stupid or is that what you're trying to do? I don't I
1: think know he's you're trying kidding. to pretend that he had a story that anybody cared about.
0: I'm not trying to call our listeners stupid. Here's the thing, Jake. I know our listeners are smart, and yet I also know that our listeners didn't vote for my story. So it's like, how do I put these two things together? I don't know. It's like that. Huh. You know where you should be. I have move, a theory
1: what's your theory jake oh nothing one fun fact about all right now brandon remember we looked up the definition of the word fun one fact okay. nathan <laughs> is that his aunt had a farm and do you know what the farm's name was what bag end no way yes and so he took a lot of his the culture that he grew up in and put it into his books that is a fun guess fact. what else what it, was it fun, Nathan? Fine. Yeah, I it was you fun. know what? I'm going to tell you facts now, and you tell me whether or not it's fun. All right. He was homeschooled. Nope. Not fun? Okay. <laughs> when he grew, was growing up, he read a lot of fairy tales, and he also liked stories of red Indians. I feel like a racist, but I think that's a fun fact. Yeah. You know why that's a fun fact? Because you know who wouldn't like that? C.S. Lewis did not like stories of red Indians. And so I wanted to add that in there, because even though he and C.S. Lewis would be close friends, they kind of famously had a little bit of a... they butted heads when it mm-hmm. came to what they appreciated in storytelling. And I may side strongly with one over the other. Yeah, me too. So, um, and it's going to be the one that you people want for Tolkien. I side with Tolkien. Yeah,
0: everybody sides with Tolkien, don't they?
1: Yeah, and this is not us. I'm moving on. C.S. Lewis is great. In 1900, his mother converted to Roman Catholicism. Fun. Fun? Yeah, I'm going to stop rating them. <laughs> okay, okay. They're all fun. All right, so the, we're not going to do that every yeah. t- for every fact. So in 1900, his mother converted to Roman Catholicism, and this would heavily shape the rest of his life. He would be uh, a committed Roman Catholic until he died. And it would be that Roman Catholicism and his commitment to Roman Catholicism. So he would have been, what, 12 at the time? No, eight at the time when he, she converted. That would be what would famously provide the background to his argument with C.S. Lewis when he would mention mytholic myth. And, you know, there's a lot of legend and hearsay about what actually happened. But no one disagrees about the fact that he, when he and C.S. Lewis would meet at Oxford years later when he would be a professor there, right around the time he was writing The Hobbit and getting famous off Beowulf, he met C.S. Lewis, they became friends, they started the Inklings together, and this Roman Catholicism would lay the groundworks for the conversations that he would have with Lewis It would be very foundational in helping Lewis's imagination shift away from Satanism and atheism and all that stuff that Lewis was being tempted by into christianity and
0: Anglicanism, though. anglicanism anglicanism oh, that's right so he
1: didn't become a roman catholic and that would disappoint T- tolkien and later they would slowly drift away drift apart as friends but you know there are books and books and books fun books written some not so fun books written articles written by christianity today at the gospel coalition all these things about this meeting between C.S. lewis and tolkien they're all fun you can go and read them they're fascinating stories but most people agree that you know what we really know is limited um, we can You can read their letters to one another, stuff like that. We do know they started the Inklings together. They would meet and something great just happened. They would meet in a pub and they would have debates and they would read parts of their stories together, like The Hobbit, he would have read in The Inklings and C.S. Lewis would have been one of the first early readers, very enthusiastic readers of The Hobbit. He loved it. Not so much Tolkien when he read <laughs> C.S. Lewis's writing later on. Well, Tolkien loved, what's the first Lewis book that we ever did? That is strength, he strengthened Yeah. He was a fan of those, but he was not such a fan of the Narnia series. But he yeah, He's the
2: hero of them.
1: He is the hero. Yeah. So why would he not like that, right? Because old Ransom's a philologist. Old Ransom is a philologist. He
2: got kidnapped to Mars and went to Venus and.
1: Just like was Tolkien. The
2: pin dragon, just like Tolkien.
1: Yeah. Resurrected Merlin. All that jazz. Yeah. Crushed some atheists to death with an elf. Had a, had a pet bear. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so his mother converted to Roman Catholicism. It was frowned upon by her family because they were protestant and if you know anything about the history of England the history of Ireland Roman Catholicism and Protestantism don't always and haven't always lived um harmoniously together in the aisle <laughs> <laughs> they've so, not perfectly everywhere else yeah. well i mean into so, i mean it still had some of the raw history of beheadings and mm. all that jazz and so um when she decided to convert to Roman Catholicism that's like slapping her family in the face and eventually um, It would lead to them taking her like support away from her. And so uh, she died in 1904 of type one diabetes. She lived to about 34 years old, which apparently at the time was pretty old for someone with that form of diabetes. Wow. And so that left both he and Hillary orphaned. I mean, if he was orphaned, then so was Hillary, I guess. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to say that, but- (laughs) They were were brothers. (laughs) (laughs) They were orphaned and and she left them as wards of a Catholic priest, Friar Francis Xavier Morgan. Cool name. Who uh, Tolkien, even though some people would call him a gossip, would call him like fastidious and stuff like that. Tolkien looked upon him very fondly later on in his life. And so, so much so that- he would side with his this father figure over in a very important event that would quickly happen in his life because at 16, around that age, when he was creating languages and when he was also starting a, a tea club in Baravian Society, which was just a gathering of him and some friends to write some poetry together and drink tea in a library. Um, but there he would meet a young girl named Edith Bratt. B-R-A-T? B-R-A-T-T. Hmm. But he would meet another orphan girl at the time. Not another orphan girl. He met an orphan girl who was an orphan like him Mm -hmm. and became very fond of her. He was around 16 at the time. They would meet in the library. They would have little adventures together. And quickly he started to fall in love with her and wanted to marry her. But his guardian, Francis Xavier Morgan, did not approve. Oh, no. And he saw her as the reason that he bumbled some of his exams. Mm. And so he told him that he was not allowed to marry her. Mm. He wanted to marry her at 18. And so he, honoring this father figure of his, agreed that he would not pursue marrying Edith for three years so that he could pursue his studies and stuff. And so during the meantime, Edith began to kind of despond and despair, not despond. <laughs> <laughs> to despond, to despair.
2: Grow despondent. That's Grow what despondent. I was going
1: to say. And then I stopped myself. She grew in say. despondency. She was actually on the verge of marrying someone else when finally Tolkien was able to write her a letter and say, "You know, this time's up. Let's get married." And she agreed and told the other guy that she no longer wanted to marry him, and apparently kind of offended him. Yeah, you don't I, say. I guess <laughs> yeah. so. One of the reasons the uh, Francis Xavier one, Morgan one reason he didn't want her to marry okay. old little John mm-hmm. was because she was not a Catholic, and so she agreed to convert to Catholicism and. Again, a little scandal with her family, but J.R.R. Tolkien was very, it It was endearing to him that she agreed to marry a, p- a person with no prospects except for going to war because they decided to get married right before World War One broke out. <laughs> this time he was going to Oxford. He, he kind of made people angry, especially her family, by deciding not to immediately enlist in the war, but to wait a year to use some sort of um, loophole they had so that he could wait a year and finish his studies. But as soon as his studies were over, he did enlist and went and he served. He fought at the Battle of the Somme and was an officer because, you know, he had an, a, a university education. But one thing that he really appreciated about the war was he, was he realized up until that point, he had kind of lived in this ivory tower that he wasn't, didn't have to know people who were lower station than him. And so he got to mix with working class men mm. and he said he really learned to grow to love these men to he said leading men is hard but he especially grew to love these men and so in all the battles and the hardships they fought together he really learned that sense of brotherhood and fellowship and commitment to a cause and seeing people die and that is all over the Lord of the Rings but that sense intense that in, sense intense that intense sense of fellowship and brotherhood that comes from fighting together
2: it's not a coincidence that the the three authors that have captured war and the brotherhood of war and the realities of war for us best have all been men who have fought in yeah. war.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's and also it's the, given the reality. I, I
2: suppose I should say because a lot of people are coming in without context would be C.S. Lewis, and Tolstoy.
1: Yeah, I'm talking yeah. People who actually saw battle and saw war mm-hmm. and knew both how men and how you have to cope Hemingway. with it. Yeah, Hemingway. How you have to cope with it and how also you get these friendships and fellowships to come out of it. The love between these men who had to fight together and also the horrors. I mean, every man that we've seen who actually had to fight in war, they do not come out loving war, right? Mm-hmm. They come out realizing the brutal necessity and awfulness of it. Well, in World War One was Nasty, especially, yes. especially horrific. War. Yeah. yeah. So I'm surprised he didn't make a modernist out of it. Anyways. Um <laughs> So, Just
2: for uh, broader context, when we think of the horrors of war, we think of World War II. But one of the things that I think is important to remember about World War I is you have all these people. It's the beginning of modern warfare, and it's where modern warfare and the old style of warfare converge. So you have people riding into battle with horses and sabers into machine gun fire.
1: Yep. I've heard that the new movie 1917 kind of captures the horrors I have too, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but yeah, it's the they're still trying to use those old methods in the face of machine guns and barbed wire. Yep, and it just produced horrors.
2: People lining up for machine gun fire.
1: Yeah, and so that would actually lead to Tolkien. Yeah, later when Tolkien would um, be asked if The Lord of the Rings was just an allegory for World War II, he would actually be fairly offended. By the thought and the suggestion because he was saying, well, I, no, it's not an allegory for that. It's not an allegory for World War One. Anybody who fought in that, you would realize they don't want to make that an allegory for anything mm-hmm. because I lost all my friends. And that was that's a rough summation of the quote, but it's like, yeah, why would I want to make it a, a thing that killed every single friend of mine except for one? These guys who he formed that tea club with, mm-hmm. every single one of them died at the Battle of the Somme. They're with him. I mean, he had, his friends were dying and he left. Edith, realizing that all the young officers, the junior officers, he said they, they, none, none of them ever came back. He went to fight thinking he was going to die. And that was just the reality of the war. It was just awful. And for someone who had waited a year to go and you saw how few actually came back, and if they did come back, how brutally mutilated they were, it was very sobering. And so he left thinking that he would not be coming back to his wife. Apparently, around the Battle of the Somme, when it got really nasty and ugly, He was going through some physical stuff as well, just get sick. And so he actually missed a good portion of that battle, not because of cowardice or anything, but just God's protection. And he did not die. Like one of his friends died. He was in a first aid camp, a first aid shack and a bomb fell on the first aid shack, stuff like that. Yeah, it would. And we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we do some context for the Lord of the Rings, but it made him so angry. When people said that *The Lord of the Rings* was just like war, war, an anti-war book, he's like, "Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm anti-war, but I don't want to write about it." That's that's when my friends died. Hmm. One thing that did happen was after that, and he was stationed somewhere else. His wife would visit him, Edith, and they would go off walking in the woods together. Mm. And apparently, while they were in the woods, she danced for him. (laughs) (laughs) And the only reason this is important is because the love story between him and Edith, them meeting as orphans, them having this bond together. Them having to wait for three years before he could come and finally woo her and win her over. Her visiting him in the war field and him seeing her dance for him. And then later in life, they would be very attached. Apparently, they were always very concerned for each other's health. And they just had a very sweet marriage. They had four children together. And he was a a good, loving father, a good, loving husband. Um, Unlike a lot of the authors we read, he actually had a pretty happy home life. (laughs) And you can see that, I mean, these, like The Hobbit feels like a story that a father just wants to tell his children, right? It just reads like that. And you can just kind of get a sense for who Tolkien was in the book. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we get to The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. But the story of Beren and Luthien, the famous story that uh, uh, Tolkien would tell that was part of the Silmarillion, I think. Aragorn sings about it in Fellowship, doesn't he? But I think he further fleshed it out in the uh, Silmarillion as Mm -hmm. well. That is all based on his relationship with edith so he is baron and she is luthien i I think i'm saying those names correctly but either way yeah they had a very sweet love for one another and when baron first meets luthien he sees her dancing in the woods there you go and so you know these strong sense memories that Tolkien had the hills that were like hobbiton his wife dancing for him all these things would then become essential elements of the stories that he would tell okay Another thing that would become essential to that is apparently when he was a young man, he also traveled to Switzerland, got to see the mountains, and that would kind of shape the Misty Mountains for him. And so, so all these experiences of his life, they would come together and culminate in the books that we have today. Another thing that strongly influenced him were the books that he read as a young man. So he was heavily influenced by like pre-Raphaelite poetry and paintings, which you can kind of see that. Sure, The pre-Raphaelite's like the intense colors, the... Um, very dramatic poses, things like that. If you've ever seen a painting of like a knight rescuing a woman yeah. from who's tied to a tree, or something, that's those, like that's those like, are, those like the pre-Raphael. Like, William Morris was very like he was he was the father of the Arts and Crafts movement, so he was a writer and also like a person who built chairs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very strange character, but he and C.S. Lewis shared this love of William Morris, and William Morris had this book called "The Well at the World's End." that was very influential for both of them. But it just kind of had that strange medieval quality. It's very similar to, you know, this charn from... um, I do, from Narnia. From Narnia, that scene. That's like a William Morris story. This weird otherworldly setting where strange things are happening, kind of almost supernatural things that you can't quite put your finger on, but it's not horror. It's almost like you've stepped into an ancient world that you just don't belong in. That's kind of where there's magic that you don't understand. Merlin from... That hideous strength is very much a part of that world. Mm -hmm. The elves in The Lord of the Rings are that sort of William Morris influence that you see when they get to Lothlorien and those elements. He was also heavily influenced by fairy tale, which shouldn't surprise you. He ended up writing a book, uh, an essay on fairy tales. All these influences would and having such a deep love of Beowulf would begin. He would and also sharing a love of Celtic mythology, Norse mythology like Lewis had. He began to realize, well, England really doesn't have a mythology, right? This and so he wanted to. He was thinking, what would it be like if England had a mythology? That's kind of part of what inspired eventually the Lord of the Rings. Those thoughts, funny thought, yeah. being
2: American that England has no mythology.
1: It is, okay. yeah, because we think of Arthur as being kind of their mythology.
2: Uh yeah, yeah, and, and you just think of just the history. You think of yeah. the kings and the yeah,
1: and the you tall tales of, that spring up around. But when us. he was Beowulf, the, and yeah. you
2: think of. The Celts, yeah, in,
1: yeah. like well, we don't have a mythology, I but mean, that's what yeah. he yeah. was thinking. Like he yeah. was thinking, like we don't have like that Norse mythology. We don't have that sort of you know the one that old depth to our history. But the Arthur story, the what yeah, what did he do with Arthur? And Mulhunk, we'll that's the those are lingering questions that we'll deal with when we do context for Lord of the Rings. How's that sound? That sounds like is this uh, context is already going pretty long? Too. Yep. And so, but those sorts of questions interested him, but those would be more questions after The Hobbit. The Hobbit apparently came from, I think he was writing a letter to W.H. Auden, who actually was one of his students. Oh. Yeah. W.H. Auden would later in his life write Tolkien a letter saying, do you remember? So one thing he would do, and I've done this too, and I did this before I realized that Tolkien did it. Ooh, it's really fun. You. Nice. Yeah. It's fun to go into a class when you're teaching Beowulf and you just read the first line, like that, and you get the student's attention. Mm-hmm. Apparently he would do that as well. He would just come in and he would stare the students down and he would just go, "Wait." Mm-hmm. And then he would, you know, start just quoting the Anglo-Saxon for them. And W.H. Mm-hmm. Oh, Auden I thought
2: the first that makes sense cuz he yeah, I thought the first word of of Beowulf was so
1: Brennan does say that a
0: lot on the
2: book I mean. A needle pulling thread.
1: So, a needle pulling. But W.H. Auden would la- uh, later in life write him a letter saying, "Do you remember how you would do that?" It's like it captured for me, like, everything it was about Beowulf. And he said, it actually, it was Gandalf speaking. Uh, something like that when he wrote a letter to Tolkien. I did that? Yeah. That's fun. Huh. I'm pretty sure it was a letter to Autumn where he said this, where he said that actually the Hobbit came to him when he was bored grading papers one day. He was grading papers, and then he said, oh, man, basically, forget this. And he said, suddenly it came to him, you know, in a hole, there lived a Hobbit, or whatever the first line is, right? In a hole in the ground. There lived a hobbit. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. He said that line just came to him, and then he just started writing the story. So you had that. You had the elements of the Celtic mythology, the Beowulfian mythologies that were surrounding it. Then you had his love of the philology, the languages that were surrounding it. But also, didn't, and kind of end on this, just like a, his tender affection and warmth, a love for his children in this. Just desire to tell stories to his kids, and so I briefly mentioned it earlier. But he had these letters, and he was an amateur artist. He would draw these pictures and letters from Father Christmas to his children, and he would tell stories to his children. And he just really he loved to do that. He loved at heart. He was a storyteller, and I think that's really important to keep in mind because I think that helps you understand for whatever harm he's done to his father's legacy, why Christopher Tolkien would be so keen on keeping his father's legacy alive, because he, you know. A lot. He was the youngest inkling. His father brought him to those meetings with CS Lewis when he was 21 hmm. and invited him to come to these meetings. And like, he was the youngest inkling. And so I was, I mean, that's awesome, right? Yeah. To be Tolkien's kid and have dad say, hey, come on, come have a beer with me and CS Lewis. It's like and being old... Johnny
0: Tremaine and yeah. hanging out with, the, yeah. what's his face, Hancock, all those Yeah. People.
1: That's, you know, who would be your inklings? Mm-hmm. Apparently Johnny Tremaine would be in your group, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it'd be Voldemort and Sauron and- <laughs> Yeah. Of course. Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> the, of, the big three. Yeah. And so there's just a sweetness to their home that's probably only matched in authors that we've read by E.B. White.
0: That was the only, I was going through, I was thinking, who do who we just know had a happy home? And the only one. And guess what one they one both really did? E.B. E.
1: White. They both ended up writing two of the children's books that I think that we're going to love the most. Well, we haven't read Johnny Tremaine yet, Brandon. Yeah. So. But So we read Charlotte's Web and loved mm. it. We're going to read The Hobbit. And it's going to stand the test as well. And I think that, you know, people can go back and they can listen to certain episodes we've had in the past where we make certain assessments of certain men and their condescension towards children and their storytelling. And what you don't pick up with Tolkien is that condescension. Mm -hmm. And guess what also doesn't come through? Any of his weird Catholicism. No. He doesn't try to turn Gandalf into an allegory. He does not. (laughs) And so there's that refreshing lack of strangeness around these books too. It's just a children's story. It just wants to be a children's story. It aspires to nothing else. And in the end, that's all that Charlotte's Web is. It was a story about a spider in here and a little girl on a farm in here. We're going to just have a story about a hobbit in the strange world that he gets wrapped into. And so, and I think that that's really endearing and I love Tolkien. So I think that's where I'll end. I think that's a great place to end. But the road goes ever on and on, Nathan, ever on and on. True. So, like, on and on to other token works and stuff we're going to be doing. <laughs> it's <The> a <already>. token. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of
0: being on things, yeah. I'm always on Instagram. I can't stay off of it. Yeah, we've noticed that. It's, it's one of the most addicting internet platforms that there is. And The Booketing's got a great Instagram platform called At The Booketing, interestingly enough. And we recently asked a question, didn't we, Brandon? We did. In our story, we asked,
1: who's your favorite Lord of the Rings character? Who's your favorite Lord of the Rings <laughs> character? We were very inspired, but we got we were, a lot of responses. We did get a lot of uh, responses, and we're going to so share I'm not them gonna, with you. I'm not going to name names. So that's fine. Mm, nope. So we got Samwise, Eowyn, General Middle-Earth, hey, I like Baron. Jake, you need to say whether you think these are good responses or not. Okay. Samwise. Yeah. Eowyn. No. For a feminist, maybe. Baron. No. For a dork. Gollum. Yeah, sure. Voldemort. Yes. Faramir. Yeah. Samwise Gamgee, hands down. E- yes. Of course. Been so long since I read the books, but probably False. Bilbo. I appreciate his love of home, tidiness, and tea. Also, his bequeathments at the beginning of LOTR. Uh, we didn't ask you to write your own novel, <laughs> Mr. Instagrammer or Mrs. Instagrammer.
2: Was it the favorite Tolkien character or favorite
1: Lord of the Rings character? <laughs> Lord of the Rings character. So, Bilbo. I mean, he's yeah. technically a character. <laughs> crazy old man. I mean, he is, but. Another Samwise Gamgee. So, so far, three for Samwise. He's far and away. Gandalf. Sure. I'm surprised we haven't gotten more Gandalf. The Orcs. Oh, someone just wanted to be s- a- Yeah, that's s- lame. Another Samwise, four for Samwise. Someone, some edgelord. The, the Orcs are the coolest. Mrs. Tolkien, I mean Luthien.
2: Boo. We have got- Oh. S- some know-it-alls some in Some know-it-alls,
1: yeah. Oh, that that comes from a good fan of ours. Is it Jake's wife? No, yes. <laughs> what yeah, if, is what it? if it was Jake's wife? <laughs> No. <laughs> Gimli. Sure. Samwise Gamgee. Ooh, okay, so Sam's the runaway. Five, yeah. Just just like Rudy I himself. don't think anybody he's, else has had he's a any. beloved. The dwarf, maybe? I need to read it again.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I approve of that answer. Tom Bombadil
1: and Bill the Pony, both favorites. Oh, I don't know if I can agree I'm with giving that. It, so yeah. I'm giving him a yes. Yeah. Then we got some people that just responded as a message. Okay. No, that's it. Jake responded correcting us saying, I'm Tom Bombadil which I'm taking that to be your favorite character.
0: False. (laughs) Uh, Tom Bombadil. (laughs) That's how he Uh, meant for that to be be read. (laughs) Come on, guys. Who else would you see the
2: yellow galoshes (laughs) I wear all the time? Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo.
0: Yeah. There's that time where me and Brandon got sucked into a tree and
1: Jake sang the tree into submission or something like that. (laughs) That's That's how we met. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, is how we met. We were trying to steal some mushrooms from old... Farmer Hams, filled. old man, old uh, yeah. farmer Giles. Yeah, what's Giles. His whatever his name was. <laughs> they were well past that by the time that happened. Well, we ate some of the mushrooms and then yeah. we lost track of time. Yeah, those <laughs> mushrooms <laughs> man. It up yeah, the Pretty amazing <laughs>
2: mushrooms. <huh? laughs> the tree ate us, man. Uh,
0: <laughs> another fun thing about Jake—he stands outside of good and evil. You he does. Can, you, can, you can put like... And I'm older than everyone. And he's older than everyone. Even Gandalf. In the hills. You hand him the most evil thing in the world and he'll just be like, huh, interesting. Well, it doesn't do anything to me. Nope. What's the most evil thing in the world that we... What, what's the most evil thing we've ever handed Jake? It's probably when we made him read um, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it affect him? Yeah. <laughs> Drove me mad. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Tremaine. <laughs> hey, guys, here's a question. Why didn't Tom Bombadil just ride on the back of an eagle to put the ring into the fires in Mordor? You know why? Because then you wouldn't have a book. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We don't need any of your
0: eagle talk. Duis X eagles are for Tolkien to use where and when he wants to. He's earned the right. We definitely don't need you to write an essay about it. At the book of the day, Britain produced, performed, all those good things. I'm Nathan. That's Brandon. That's Jake. Say goodbye to everybody, fellas. Goodbye to everybody, fellas. Goodbye, everybody, fellas. Bye, everybody, fellas. We'll be back next week with a Little Hobbit. Then we'll do some Sense and Sensibility. And then we'll do other things. I'm Tom But bomb-a-doo. there's going to be a lot more Lord of the Rings. So, bye. And my
1: boots are yellow. <laughs>